재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 It is now time for News Digest to get some analysis on some of the major issues domestically over the past week. We're going to first get an update on the continuing fallout over the decision to deploy the THAAD battery system here on South Korean soil. A lot of pressure being put on the Pakane administration, both domestically as well as uh, from overseas. And an interesting comment was made by the president. She met with 11 make, uh, lawmakers from Daegu and North Gyeongsang province, uh, trying to tamp down the opposition and even offering Some concessions saying that they may be willing to change the site within the county of Songju. To give us more analysis on all of this, uh, we're very pleased to have joining us once again, research fellow from Korea Institute for Defense Analyses, Dr. Kim Cheru. Hello. Hello, Henley. Dr. Kim, thank you very much for joining us, as always. Now, China has not officially said uh, there are going to be uh, sanctions or retaliatory measures in place. But do you think Beijing is subtly engineering some sort of payback towards Seoul by maybe inflaming local anti-Korean sentiment behind the scenes? Interesting uh, question. (laughs) China is carrying out, actually, indirect, insidious pressure rather than taking retaliatory economic measures. Unlike the 2010 trade dispute regarding garlic tariffs, Beijing is engineering soft power approach, instigating psychological jitteries among South Koreans. On top of that, um, in terms of DIM, uh, which implies diplomacy, information, military, and economy, Beijing controls information factor to stir media splash within South Korean society and inflaming local anti-Korean sentiment. Specifically, uh, they are targeting K-pop culture while signaling economic impact to South Korea. Uh, Even major media platforms have interviewed or cited South Koreans' anti-thad comments and rallies against the government. These divisive and disruptive maneuvers could harm the foundation of mutual trust between Beijing and Seoul. First and foremost, again, the fundamental theme must be focused on how to counter North Korea's evolving nuclear and missile threats for our survival. Now, all of these uh, subtle soft power measures you've just explained to us, do you think China is trying to build, develop an advantage or some leverage in attempt to maybe renegotiate THAAD uh, from a position of strength after the Park administration when the um, the successor to the presidency comes into power? Regardless of Beijing's intention of renegotiation tactic, uh, President Park's position is crystal clear, I believe. The THAAD deployment is unavoidable for the sake of national security. That's it. Seoul's position should be very strategically synchronized to lead the security agenda setting, though. THAAD is exclusive against North Korea theaters. That's the fact. It's a tool, not the desired end state. Unfortunately, the military defensive measure has been highly politicized. Political and military leadership should be based on facts to persuade local residents and to achieve national unity. The problem is misperception and politicization of sad issue, which will 
only hurt not only military morale, but also Rakhine's combined defense posture. So my argument is that politicized bickering against the backdrop of nuclear armed Kim Jong-un can be a critical, critical misjudgment of the next commander-in-chief. We Koreans should stand united in order to overcome neighboring countries' unreasonable geopolitical pressures. So deploying that does not mean a step toward a new Cold War, but a self-defense measure to protect the Korean people's lives. We do have a five-year presidential term here, Dr. Kim, and some people would like to, re, um, I suppose, reform the Constitution. That's a political hot potato. But uh, this five-year Park administration's term will end. Perhaps an opposition party candidate will become the next president. Do you believe that there is a, uh, a threat? You say the commander-in-chief should be steadfast, but do you think there is a threat to the continuity of the THAAD policy? Whoever may be the next president, that may be the big question for the political circle, but the, whoever the, the next president, the foremost presidential duty is to protect the nation and the people. So my argument is that populist approach to regarding the matter of the national security is the critical danger. That's the real danger. So deploying that must be considered from the perspective of self-defense in response to the Kim Jong-un regime's nuclear and ballistic missile provocations. So consistency or continuity, as you mentioned, of national security must not waver for the sake of domestic politics. Now, the president also, uh, it's appeared to have given a concession to the residents of Songju, saying possible relocation of the uh, THAAD battery is a uh, potential I suppose, option for a uh, Songju County deployment. Is she perhaps now relenting to public pressure? Uh, do you feel she should have been more resolute in standing her ground on the issue? With all due respect, the remark was somewhat incongruous to previous determination on the matter. All necessary measures can be discussed or examined before the final decision had made as long as enhancing military effectiveness to counter the ballistic missile threats. Once the U.S.-Korean governments made the decision, maintaining the consistency can be a critical asset. So what I'm saying is this suggestive relocation remark may not, be imply, may not imply president's changed stance on resolution, resolute determination to defend the nation and the people. President Park uh, will go through with the firm stance uh, while Songju residents perceive the fears of harm from uh, electromagnetic waves. I fully understand the local residents' uh, fears, but the theme of the message is to listen to what uh, residents have to say. It's not a change of the stance to defend the Republic of Korea. Hmm. Now, there is going to be a visit to Russia next month by the president. How important do you think this would be in mitigating the diplomatic fallout to that? I, I understand that for Vladimir Putin, uh, who's maybe focused more on Europe than necessarily Asia, uh, but he is certainly something, someone that opposes that. Can he be convinced? Uh, uh, and if so, how important would his approval or vote of confidence be in persuading other regional neighbors like China? 
even uh, Chinese official media turned out a lot of, uh, you know, arguments calling for military action uh, or countermeasures, possibly together with Russia. But uh, Russia has different strategic goal to achieve. So China should not connect the third issue to the sanctions on North Korea, you know, to use it as a way to pressure Seoul. Um, so I think the, uh, uh, the fourth nuclear test and more than 30 ballistic missile firings over the past four years uh, material, materialized evidence to, which is a threat to even to Russia, eastern part of Russia. So I think uh, Vladimir Putin may share some strategic interest with Beijing in defiance of Washington's sphere of influence in the Northeast Asia. Still, Vladimir Putin is not a acropolit or a small boy mm. under the big brother of uh, Xi Jinping. So I, I think uh, uh, President uh, Vladimir Putin will have his own voice to garner the full support of. Uh, Republic of Korea and Korea's economic strengths and uh, formal agreement with uh, Russia has a big significance in terms of his political uh, orientation, political initiative to uh, develop this area. Right. And finally, could you just summarize for us the overall challenges that President Barr continues to face down the road in regards to uh, THAAD, both here at home and abroad, and what comprehensive measures you feel need to be taken to tackle them on multiple fronts? To tackle the multiple fronts is the agenda setting one. I mean, the issue framing is very important. So I think that Beijing's premeditated objections to Seoul have more to do with geopolitics in terms of strategic rivalry with the United States. Why are, are this, uh, is, is Seoul in the center of the old attack and defense of this old controversy? So China sees the deployment of the Fed on the Korean Peninsula with the framework of trilateral collaborations among Washington, Seoul, and Tokyo. However, Fed has been justified in response to North Korea's provocative missile, uh, ballistic missiles like a Nodong missile firing on Wednesday morning. So deployment is a purely defensive measure against the clear and present threats. But the bottom line is the you know, challenges to face down the road depends on strategic communication uh, to consolidate national cohesion. So I think uh, in, uh, in the other side of the coin is that China's unreasonable pressure or maneuver or insidious covert action is a new engine for the uh, Koreanized domestic uh, public opinion consolidation. I think uh, China's uh, uh, full swing or exaggerating uh, pressure may incite the uh, domestic cohesion or mood. And uh, the uh, public's uh, opinion can change uh, like a pendulum in the, in the oriental clock. Yeah, very interesting point indeed. Dr. Kim, as always, appreciate your insights. Have a great weekend. You too. That was Dr. Kim Cheru. Let's move on to our next story. This is an accounting scandal that's been ongoing. Uh, it's 
been uh, quite detrimental to the fortunes of Taewoo Shipbuilding and Marine Engineering, and it's taken a turn for the worse. The chief financial officer uh, has been summoned for questioning over allegations that the firm has cooked the books, uh, hiding losses. To get an update on the uh, gloomy outlook uh, facing Taewoo Shipbuilding, uh, we are joined by our good friend from Sungmyung Women's University Economics Professor Shin Sedon. Hello. Hello. Professor Shin, thank you for joining us. Uh, You're welcome. <laughs> this is unfortunately bad news for uh, DSME. The, this accounting scandal keeps growing. It's apparent that uh, they already were facing a liquidity crisis uh, years before it was blown wide open. Yeah, years before this. In fact, the shipbuilding industries have been having trouble uh, since 2012, when the you know the shortage of orders and contracts have have emerged because of the global economic slowdown, and also on top of it, uh, you know the the oil price has been plummeting since 2014. So uh, global economic slowdown from 2012, on top of it, the plummeting oil price since June 2014, and on top of it still, you know, the Korean currency exchange rate has been downing from 1400 Per dollar to almost one thousand in in the middle of two thousand fourteen. So the complex of you know things have evolved, and that has the devastating effect upon shipbuilding industries. Now there is a flurry of activity to try and restructure the debt. Uh, uh, the the firms themselves, including Samsung and Taewoo, they are on Hyundai. They are trying to self rescue uh, with a bunch of reform measures, but. Despite all of those efforts, do you do you feel that these firms, especially Taewoo, are facing still some severe liquidity problems? Well, not the liquidity crisis because first the government banks are replenished with the fresh cash, and and secondly, the Bank of Korea is behind uh, the two government banks. So I think the liquidity crisis is not the real trouble. I think real trouble is how long this uh, chronic slowdown in shipbuilding industries will continue down the road. I think that is the that is the critical issue. The chronic slowdown then um, is. Is it, in your view, inevitable? Uh, despite you, t- you talked about all these external factors, the price of oil, the exchange rates, and, and all of this, uh, the, the, uh, the competition from China. Um, th- even if the market conditions were to improve, do we still see an industry that uh, doesn't have bright prospects or would have to redefine themselves to have any uh, hope of being relevant? Definitely, you know, I mean, you know, the, the shipbuilding industry is growing over 20%. You know, that era has, has been gone. So, uh, we cannot expect in the global economy to pick up more than 3%, uh, you know, down down the road for two or three years or so, global economy is not going to pick up and uh, and the oil price is not, you know, is going to pick up. Some people say it might go up to $70 per barrel, but some others say it might go down to $10, you know, per barrel. So the oil price prospect is, isn't, isn't that good and the global economy isn't that good. So I think definitely we, we need to slim down because we can't continue this size of you know in the shipbuilding industries in in such a, a slow growth environment. So it really seems very difficult to come up with a solution that'll satisfy 
everybody. I, it seems like many observers and the sober analysts like yourselves kind of feel the, the golden days are over. And so we have to kind of look at a new paradigm of what the shipbuilding industry in Korea will be. But at the same time, uh, we can't take the extreme measure of, well, it's going to die, let it die. And we're talking thousands of jobs, a uh, uh, spillover effect to the rest of the Korean economy. What can be done right now uh, in addition to, I suppose, these cash infusions and the KDB and Exim banks continuously, uh, I guess, providing that liquidity? What can be done to make this, I guess it can't be a win-win situation, but at least a, <laughs> a, as small a lose-lose situation as possible? Well, first, we need to restructuring the shipbuilding industry. Here, re, uh, the restructuring means that we have to we have to forget about the you know low end uh, low technology vessels such as you know the container ship because we have already lost our competitiveness against Chinese competitors so we have to get rid of those you know low end uh, low uh, value added uh, low tech vessels and instead we have to focus upon high-end, high-tech vessels such as, you know, the compressed uh, natural gas carriers or some uh, naval vessels. So we have to specify and focus our potential to very high-tech and high-end vessels. And I think we have pretty good chance in doing that. And second thing that I want to emphasize is that, you know, the government bureaucrats should be out of the playground. You know, most Mm. of them are contaminated, sometimes corrupted and uh, mostly incompetent about the you know, shipbuilding industries. We did you know this restructuring uh, trial, I mean trials many times, but mostly ruined by the bureaucrats. Mm. So uh, second most important thing is the bureaucrats should be out of the playground. And third, the industry should bear all the burdens as well as the fruits. In other words, you know, they should be given full responsibility for their success and for their destiny. So uh, I think the main objective of survival of shipbuilding industry should be laid upon industry itself instead of, you know, governments or instead of uh, bureaucrats. So I think uh, some restructuring and the government bureaucrats being out of the playground and the full responsibility for, you know, uh, for their destiny by the industry itself. I think there's three most important aspects for their survival. Right. And so if you can maybe lay out the best and worst case scenarios, I suppose uh, if you benchmark, we have countries like uh, UK, right? Britain, they had a, a shipbuilding industry. It, 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 it then was uh, losing to competition like Korea they went to very much higher on the value chain, um, but of course, volume will go down, and that's inevitable here in Korea. I, I suppose right. you can look that as a positive sign. What would be right. the worst case scenario if everything collapses? If the bureaucrats, as you say, can't get their hands out of this, what are the macroeconomic implications of that? Then, well, I, I hope not, but I think you know the 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 the, the gross size of the the shipbuilding industry has has to be down at least 50%. We mm-hmm. can't continue. So uh, we have to manage very slow and well-planned, uh, uh, you know, 
scamming, I mean, skipping down of the size of the industry. That is very important. So it is inevitable to lose some of the employment opportunity that's there. Instead, you know, by pouring a lot of money, billions of billions of you know money into the industry, we have to make a success in uh, making uh, high-end uh, shipbuilding industry uh, uh, players in the in the in the, in the playground. So. Uh, uh, in, 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 in worst case, I think, you know, in case when the government, uh, plan and the industry itself was unable to, uh, survive in that kind of a high competitive environment, I think, uh, I don't know, uh, at least, you know, two or three out of four major shipbuilding, you know, companies maybe, 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 I don't know, uh, mm. uh, disappearing or maybe in the hands of some Chinese or, you know, some other investors' hands. Yeah, that would certainly be a very dire scenario. Uh, well, Professor Shin, on that note, uh, we're going to leave it there. But thank you, as always, for joining us and hope you have a great weekend. You're, you're welcome. You too.